Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 34 here on the podcast, and today uh, in studio, we want to welcome welcome Purdue legendary head coach Gene Cady to the podcast. Coach, thanks for taking time to join us. Uh, thank you for having me. It's great to be back home. So, uh, Coach has been in town for, uh, we're going to be here for a little over a week, and uh, caught our game um, against Rutgers, and uh, we'll be here for the Nebraska game. Um, Coach, we just uh, wanted to kind of get into, I, I know a lot of people know so much about you, so I'm not going to get into some of the stuff that the people know. We're going to try to dig a little bit deeper. But uh, one of the things that struck me the other night was um, at the game, it was Steve Scheffler's bobblehead night, and uh, you sat next to him up there in the stands. And I started thinking about kind of what was going through your mind seeing one of your former players have a bobblehead night and do all those memories come back when you see that kind of transpire on the court yeah you think about how the recruiting process went with him when he was in high school in Grand Rapids and how he developed as a player here every year he got better he was really a good guy to coach he listened he worked hard he had a great attitude about going to school so he was an easy guy to be around but he also was a guy that was sometimes tough to deal with because he had a lot of questions about like taxes and things that had nothing to do with <laughs> basketball so it was fun to be around him to talk about things besides basketball yeah and then steve and steve had a long nba career and he wasn't prolific obviously but i think the thing that everybody uh doesn't know about him is that he was such a great teammate that uh those coaches liked having him around i mean he could be on a plane and you know, a head coach would come by and talk to Steve Scheffler, and, you know, you could have a conversation. And they kind of liked that, and he hung around for a long time, didn't he? I think his greatest attribute was that, besides being a hard worker, was that he was so loyal. So he could sit on the bench in the NBA and not gripe about not playing. And, of course, right. the coaches liked that, and uh, he was going in when they needed him, and he stuck around for eight years in the NBA. And if you go eight years in the NBA, you get a nice retirement package. Oh, yeah. So he's yeah. okay now. Yeah. Well, still lives in Michigan, runs a, a food distribution center up there, and uh, he, he he's back usually for two or three games a year. So, gave um, a great uh, for people who weren't there the other night. Just gave a great oh, halftime presentation. Great I mean, it, unscripted. Know, yeah, it was like six minutes or seven minutes. It was fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Well, one of the things that uh, we talk about is uh, uh, your coaching tree and all the the coaches that either played for you, coached with you on your staffs. And um, just to bring our listeners up to speed, you're living in Myrtle Beach now, and um, sometimes I have to remind myself that you aren't in town here because you're so up to speed on what's going on with Purdue. And Coach and I, uh, full disclosure, we talk a couple times a week and and talk about our team and what's going on and everything. And I know you've kind of got a list of guys that you you keep up up to date with, and and most of them are coaches and coaching teams, and you know it's the guys like Conzo Martin and Paul Lusk, and who both have been on this show within the last month. Um, Link Darner, uh, obviously Coach Painter, and and Kevin Kevin Stallings, Bruce Weber. Um, do you ever sit back and just uh, in amazement how many guys that you've touched that are now in the coaching business? Yeah, I'm amazed they want to be a coach after being under me. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's fun to watch, and I keep up with all of them and talk to them about once a week and try to stay in touch. And if they're on TV, I always watch them. So my wife's always mad at me because I'm yelling at the TV. If a referee's making a call <laughs> I didn't think was right. So it's pretty typical of how I used to coach. I'll never forget that uh, when we had that uh, cancer event over with Illinois jointly and 
we had Lavin and Weber and Painter were all over there, and everybody was getting on coaches. But for something, I don't know what it was about. About Phantom enough. Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. And he says, and Coach gets up and he says, "Golly, I made you all millionaires, and you're sitting there pointing your finger at me. What's going on? Remember that? Oh, you yeah. were there. Yeah, yeah. That was a great event we used to do, Coach versus Cancer. Uh, Coach Weber partnered up with us, and we used to do it over at the Beef House there. And a lot of great uh, stories and memories from that. But uh, I know. Um, when you now, let me ask you how you handle that. So, after guys lose a game, do they kind of go off the recall rotation for a couple of days? And no, no, no. <laughs> I call them and make sure they haven't cut the wrist. So, hey, you know, I've been there, and done that. So I understand. So I try to help them with a little. Uh, hey, it's going to be okay if you win the next win and talk about that. So I try to be uh, helpful that way. But I don't know if I'm a pain in the butt or not. So we'll. They no, can. They I, usually tell me if they don't like it, but that's good. And I like them to be honest. I can I can imagine they uh, they like getting your phone calls. Um, so let me ask you, what's what's day to day life like for you now? I mean, obviously you're keeping in touch with everybody, um, but uh, are you getting out to games? Are there things you do there in town? Uh, especially, I would assume it's harder to get out to golf this time of year. But uh, what kind of stuff do you do? Yeah, the weather's kind of been cold down there, even so. I haven't played golf for about three weeks. But I go to all the Myrtle Beach High School games. I've gotten close to that coach, Craig Martin. And his dad's a big Michigan fan, so he's always writing me about <laughs> Purdue. And, <laughs> Tough uh, bowl season for him this year. <laughs> so, uh, and then I go to uh, yeah, Coastal they're, Carolina. They're paying, they're paying that coach too much money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I tell him. But then I go to all the Coastal Carolina's games, which is a university there in Conway, which is about 10 minutes from our house. And, and uh, Cliff Ellis is a good friend of mine, and we sat by his wife at the games behind the bench. So, uh, it's one of those things where I try to stay close to teams that I enjoy watching. I like their coaches. The players are fun to watch. And then the other day when I was sitting there at the Coastal game, you remember the referee Jim Burr? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who we've had some tangles with. Uh, came <laughs> over and sat by me, gave me a hug, said he missed me. I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so we had a good visit. Now, so, there's there's a great Jim Burr story that great, we're going to tell here, and it involves the, the two gentlemen sitting here. And uh, we were in Minnesota one year, and Coach Katie was uh, Coach Katie was retired, was traveling with us as we were going to play the go <laughs> play the Gophers, and we're driving over to the arena before the game, so it's dark out, and there's this neon sign that is flashing Grumpy's Bar. <laughs> and it's out the side of the bus that Coach Katie was sitting on, and he says, Jim Burr owns a bar? <laughs> and Larry goes, he does? <laughs> and Larry didn't see the grumpy sign, so Larry thinks that Jim Burr actually owned a bar. And then Coach Katie delivered the punchline. No, it's, it said grumpies, and then, of course, the whole bus starts laughing. <laughs> and now... And then he heard about it. Jim yeah. Burr heard about it. Want to know why I called him Grumpy? <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And now every time we go by there, because we take the same route, we basically yeah. stay at the same hotel every year. And every time, which we will do a week from Saturday, we'll be up in Minnesota and we'll go by that place. <laughs> and, and you bring and it up. Guys, yeah. No, I don't bring it up. Everybody else brings it up, especially the guys. <laughs> Yeah, Elliot brings up and we go, ho, 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 ho. Hey, Cliz, there's Jim Burr's bar. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Yeah. You gotta have thick skin when you travel with us. Yeah, and you gotta be you gotta be a referee and have thick skin because those guys uh, they have a tough job. Working games are not easy. When I worked phys ed games when I was taught high school, it was hard to referee. Let alone being a game that counted. That uh, you know you had to uh, understand the coach's job might be on the line. So it's refereeing games is very very hard. Well, and that brings up a good topic of when. That was one of your trademarks was how you rode the officials and everything. That's kind of changed, don't you think? How you It seems like you guys used to work the officials a little more than what happens now. And maybe it's because some of the officials just have a lower tolerance level for what they put up with now. But it just seems like when you guys coached, there was a lot more uh, – a lot more working on the sideline in terms of the official, trying to get calls. Yeah, I've talked to Hightower about that, Hillary, and I think they knew that when I got on them, it was because I wanted to win the game, and, and it was never personal. When I went home that night, I always slept well, so I didn't worry about it too much, and it was one of those things where I think they understood that. And most of those referees I've become good friends with as years went on because a lot of them worked the – St. John's games when I was there, they'd yeah. come over, Higgins would come over and talk to me and say, Katie, if you stand up, we're giving you a technical. Sit down <laughs> and shut up. So we've had a lot of fun together. And I think, too, I think some of those, uh, some of the older guys that when they officiated, they understood some of the gamesmanship, too. Sometimes you may be getting on an official to get your players rallied. And I think they probably understood that a little bit, some of the stuff that goes in. Usually I got on the official because I was just mad at him. Yeah, I think we're giving him – I think Elliot's giving him way too, too much credit. <laughs> I wasn't that smart to think that far ahead. Oh, man. You well, talk- I always tell that story. I always tell that story of being out in Santa Clara, and I probably said it on the podcast before. Yeah, you but, just talked about it last uh- – But Santa Clara, and we were – so I'll repeat it real quickly, but we had an official who made about four or five calls. It was the semifinal game. Don't know who we were playing out there at the time. It was uh, early 80s, mid-80s. And, uh, and this guy made about four bonehead calls in a row, and – we had had an established lead, and all of a sudden things were getting a little dicey. Tight. <laughs> yeah, and he comes over, and he stands right in front of me. We're right there at courtside, and he stands right in front of me, has his hands behind his back. Lanny Seagull's our color announcer, and I start baiting this guy. Like, um, I'm talking to Lanny, but it's like, man, I'm telling you, this guy's blind. You know? <laughs> and he heard you. And, 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 and Lanny would go, no, shh, 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 shh. And i go, no, I mean, seriously, he can't see anything. He keeps refereeing like this. We may not have a shot in this game. And so this guy, and now you can see him twitching a little bit, and then I finally get him a third shot. Lanny's grabbing my thigh underneath the table and, like, pinching me, like, shut up. And this guy turns around, leans down, both hands, puts his nose right in my face, and he says, let me tell you something, son. Here's the deal. Number one, I may be blind. You may be right. But I can hear, and I hear everything you're saying. So here's what I'm going to do. Number one, I'm going to assess Purdue a technical foul. And then after I do that, I'm going to escort you out of the arena. And I look at Lanny and I say, he can't do that, can he? And Lanny looks at me and says, we don't want to find out. Shut up. So I finally just shut up. I finally, you know, zip it. Boom. I don't say anything, Coach, about it, obviously. So about two weeks later, I think we're bussing somewhere or something. I just say, Coach, let me ask you a question. I said, 
this is all hypothetical. This would never happen. But if it did, if I was to get a technical foul, what would you do? And he said, I tell you what, I give you a great job recommendation for your next <laughs> for your next position. <laughs> so so I never forgot that. Never got close to that again. And do you remember the time I gotta tell this story? When we lost to Evansville, we lost to Evansville down there in nineteen eighty four. And uh and coach was he, he was just ravenous. He was he was he was upset and we had this little bird cage where we did the post game and he always did the post game. He came to us. He comes up in the post game and their announcer is sitting fifteen feet from us and he's just rolling about. Hey, we just beat Purdue and the Boilermakers go down and coach is right next to me and he looks at me and he says, Who is that guy? And I said, He's their radio announcer. He says, Well tell him to shut up. I said, I can't tell him to shut up. That's not my job. He says, You better tell him to shut up or I'm gonna go over there and shut him up. I said, No, 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 we no we can't do that. Uh, Larry Larry Calton, I think was his name I might have his name wrong but he did later in his career get a technical foul and was escorted out of the arena in wow. some game but uh yeah that well there was a couple staff members who got texts that i've heard stories of over the years i know uh i think larry leverance got one over no, ohio state no, one time no, 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 gary johnson jerry johnson a trainer it was a he was a manager yeah okay yeah yeah he got one and larry I, never got one no, Larry was Larry great. I just had Ohio dinner State. with Larry last night. We had fun. Denny Miller and, and Larry and I had dinner together at Bruno's. Well, the whole the Gary Johnson story is that he basically that was out at UTEP. Hid the entire rest of the trip, so he didn't. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't <laughs> oh, be no, seen he, by. Oh, he thought he was going to get fired. I mean, he, he definitely thought he was getting fired. It was one of those things like when the official makes a call and you're looking around, who got that one? And when they finally all the fingers pointed towards him, you could see him just turn physically white because he knew his career was over. <laughs> and he, now I think he's a tra- isn't he the trainer at the Arizona State. Yeah. Well, yeah. one of the things that. Coach Katie was always so great to all of all everybody who worked for him, support staff, coaches, and everything. But that didn't mean you couldn't have a little fun with it. And I remember one year we were at Xavier, and our academic guy Mark Shook was he missed the bus on the way to the arena. So we we get to the arena, and he is he he taxis over to the arena, and now he's a little nervous because he didn't always travel with us. And Todd Foster, who is as big a prankster as you're going to find, <laughs> exactly. Todd goes up to him and says, "Hey, you better, you better lay low. Like coach is ready to take your head off." Now, <laughs> coach didn't care. He was he was ready trying to get ready for the game, but Todd, he he, he worked this for all it was worth, man. He said, "Now, just I got to tell you, don't go in that locker room. Just stay out here and hide out." And I mean, Mark walked on eggshells for two weeks before he got back around Coach Katie. Tony Jones is another one that liked to do that. You remember him? Yep. yep. Oh yeah. Well, there's yeah. a story that uh, that uh, Coach Painter always tells that when Lav was here, he was out on a date. And he was going in to get some ice cream, yeah. and he left his car running because it was cold out. And Tony drove by, saw the car running, and, and jumped in the car and drove off with it. And Coach Lavin came running out of the of the yogurt shop. Couldn't, couldn't see his head because yeah. he was ducked down. Yeah, he was and he, down. And he yeah. thought somebody was stealing his car, and it was Tony <laughs> Jones driving off with it. <laughs> yep. yep. So I was going to tell you about what Larry said about while I go when he got a technical, and he asked me what he, what happened if he got one with me, and. 
I don't know exactly what I said, but it probably wasn't pretty. But I remember, that kind of re- reminds me of the fact that when Bill Walton came to Coach Wooden one time, Coach Wooden told me that Bill told him, Coach, I'm going to wear a beard tomorrow. I said, what do you think of that? He says, well, we'll miss you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Even though you're the best player in the country and in the we're world, gonna we're going to miss you. Yeah. You get the message pretty quick. Um, one thing I wanted to dig into a little bit, um, and you talked about – when you growing up and when you officiated, uh, I want to go back to your Kansas days. Grew up in, uh, born in Larna, Kansas. Grew up there. Um, before I got to know Coach real well and worked for him and was a sports information guy, I never knew how many people were from the state of Kansas until I. It seemed like every time I would run into somebody from Kansas, they had a connection to Coach Katie. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. And it happened again the other day. So there was a guy. Uh, Sunrise Christian Academy, a high school team that actually where Matt Harms prepped, is in based in Wichita, and they were driving through the other day from Chicago to Memphis, and they stopped in and and attended the Rutgers game, and their head coach, he he was talking to Matt Harms and visiting with him, and uh, he told Matt, he said, you know, I've been to Purdue before. He said I came to Coach Katie's camp um, when I was a kid, and Matt Matt. Harm's eyes lit up. He said, "You did." He said, "Yeah." He goes, "He's from Kansas." He said, "I'm." I, he was from Beloit. He said, "I was. I'm a Kansas guy," and it was. And it reminded me again that every Kansas person, there's like a connection. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's like they all know each other. And coach used to go into these stories about guys that. Oh yeah, I, I knew him, Bill Guthridge. He was my roommate. You know, Dean Smith. Oh yeah, you know he did this. And Delos Dodds, the former AD at Texas. Yeah, he was the left fielder when I was a center fielder. I mean, there uh, was Delos Dodds was on the track team. Okay, you know, he, was there a, was, he was the AD at Texas. There was story after story yeah. about Kansas guys that, and it seemed like every time that a Kansas name came up, there was a connection that you yep. knew them all. Yeah, yeah. When I was in high school, my cousin was our coach. And I didn't even start. When I was a senior, I didn't even start. So a relation had no connection in Kansas. I couldn't even brown nose my cousin. And uh, then I went to junior college and started to become a better player. But anyway, it was a. It's always a. Uh, there was always a story to tell about your experience as an athlete. But 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 your roots in Kansas. I mean, obviously growing up there, um, Garden City, uh, then Kansas State, and then uh, you get a job at Boyd High School, and then you move on to to Hutch Junior College. Um, what 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 was it like growing up in Kansas? Oh, it was great. I was in a small town where my dad and mom were the best two people I ever knew in my life. Uh, they were they had a great parents. I was so dumb I thought we were rich. And I think dad made the most he ever made was a dollar an hour, <laughs> and mom worked at Duckwalls, which is a nickel and dime store there in Larned. So uh, we never had much, but uh, we were happy and had fun. And I had a great sister, Norma. She lives in Sacramento now. So it was just a great life. I had great teammates in high school and uh, went to junior college at Garden City and then Kansas State and always developed a lot of good friends. So it was just a great time in my life. How early did you get the bug for athletics? Because you were a multi-sport. Third grade. Started playing basketball as a third grader in Scott City, Kansas. Wore green and white uniforms. I'll never forget that. I didn't even know how to dribble. But Dad took me over to a third grade tournament when I was a third grader because we were farmers in western Kansas then, so at Dighton, Kansas. So it started I started very young. I think Dad thought that would keep me out of trouble, and it did. And I led in four sports in college, and it was this opportunity for me to uh, develop a career. So I was very lucky. And, and baseball, football, basketball, did some track stuff too. What events were you in a track? I ran the 100, the 220, the quarter, and threw the shot and discus. Wow. 
Well, I got to share another story. When I, when, uh, way back when I was filling out some kind of nomination form for coach for some honor, and we, we had to detail all his a- athletic accolades as well as his coaching accolades. So we were getting in depth with all this stuff, and we were sitting in his office, and he's listing, I did this, I did this. And, that's, and, and everybody knows coach. He doesn't like to, you know, he doesn't like to brag about that kind of stuff. But he had to in this case because that's what we had to do. We had to list all this stuff. So he's he's and I kept writing and writing. I mean, all the stuff he did as an athlete. And I looked up. I go, geez. And he goes, just put down there. I was a stud. He goes, be done with it. <laughs> no, uh, you said it. And I said, yes, you were. I said, you did a lot of stuff. But uh, I never thought I was. Well, but you obviously were. You a lot of. I mean, to play all those different sports and at that at that level. Um, how are, so how early in the process did you know you wanted to coach? Well, my high school coach was a, a track guy and our football coach when I was a senior, and he was a big track guy. And that's when we started running track when he came to Larned. Mervyn Wilson was his name. And he kind of he came, became friends with my mom and dad, and uh, he kind of encouraged me and what I was going to major in in college. And he said, you ought to try to take major in phys ed and become a coach because he – He's pretty good at sports, and he he likes people, and he's pretty good about talking to people. So he ought to be try to become a coach. So because of my high school coach, he encouraged me. And another guy in my life was a, a man by the name of Bill Hunsinger. He was a senior in high school when I was an eighth grader. He kind of took me under his wing. You know how an older guy you look yeah. up to when you're in junior high. He won the state when he's a senior. Man, I thought that was huge. You know, when you're yeah. a junior high kid and your your idol wins the state title. So he kind of took me under his wing and he encouraged me to study hard. And you got, can I get a scholarship? I asked him, and he said, "Sure. All you got to do is work hard and develop your skills and become a you know a, have a good attitude and do the things it takes to become a uh, get somebody to look at you." So because of him and my high school coach, I got encouraged to try to become a coach. So with all those different sports, did you just jump from one season to the next, or was it one of those things where even though basketball might not have been in season in the summer, did you like go from football practice and then go play basketball that night? Or did Oh, you... yeah, we went up to the park at night and played basketball after football practice. Sure, put the lights on and played basketball at night outside. Wow, that's pretty cool. And then you played baseball, work up. If you ever played the game work up, our buddies. My, uh, my, bro- my buddies were... Uh, two brothers, two Spanish kids, and a redhead. That was my gang. <laughs> That's who I grew up And they up all with. played? All they all sports. played ball, ball, and we were always together. Had our bikes and rode all over. So ultimately, after you get through Kansas State, you joined the Pittsburgh Steelers as a tailback. What was the um, – why did why did football kind of rise at the top in terms of all the sports you played? That's the one you, that the one well, you were best I at? I got or? drafted by the Steelers, and they were going to pay me the most. I could have stopped with the kid <laughs> – Kansas City at those day in those days it was the Kansas City A's if you remember they weren't the Royals then sure. so I could have signed with them but I signed football with the Steelers for seventeen thousand <laughs> which is a lot of money by the way uh, it's a lot of money well yesterday at practice uh, coach was sitting there and Leroy Key stopped by Calvin Williams who's an associate D for our, our athletic department now and was a football player here played for the Eagles for a long time um, they were over there talking. I heard Coach K tell that story, and Calvin said the same thing. He goes, "In those days, that's that's good oh, money." A lot of money, yeah, yeah. But I never got it because I came home. I hurt my knee and came back to Canada, started coaching. I didn't finish my contract with the Steelers. So, of the obviously, that that dictated where you would you know that you played football because the money money talk there. But 
did you kind of have, was it one of those things where you had different forks in the road that you could have gone down? Um, yeah, I suppose. I never thought about it. I, I came back from the Steelers, and I had my degree from Kansas State. So it was late August, so I needed a job. My wife was pregnant, so I had to have some money to support my family. So the only job open in Kansas was Beloit, Kansas, because the high school coach at Beloit went to Shawnee Mission North. Bill Cornwell was his name. And the job opened up late August, and I got the job, and uh, I took the job as a high school coach. And that's why I went there, and it was a basketball job was one of them. I was an assistant football coach, head basketball coach, assistant track coach, head golf coach, which I knew nothing about, and uh, uh, taught like seven classes for 4,200. Wow, that's a full full schedule. Man, the dude was getting overpaid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got a $100 bonus that Christmas, and the co-teachers that had been there for years were going nuts. A $100 bonus, they were going nuts. They, I thought, what are they so happy about? $100 is not much. I never got another bonus until at Arkansas, 20 years later, we won the Southwest Conference. So that was the last time I got a bonus for 20 years. Wow. So, so that's what they're excited about because bonuses are hard to get in teaching. So how long before you got into your coach, and now you coach multiple sports, how long before you decide, um, did you have an itch immediately to start moving up, or was it one of those things where you didn't have a plan, you just kind of... No, 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 no. It was always about knowing somebody that you knew before in your coaching career. I got the job at at uh, Beloit because the principal at Beloit, uh, Bob Harrison, was getting his master's or his uh, principal certificate at Kansas State when I was there. So he knew me as an athlete at Kansas State and liked my attitude, he said. So when I applied for the job in August, they hired me. Then when I was at Hutch, when I got the Hutch job, the AD there, Sam Butterfield, and I were together at Garden City because he was a high school coach at Garden City. So we had a relationship there. So uh, it was always because I knew somebody. Not because uh, necessarily that every every job I ever applied for, I never got. It was always because somebody knew me. <laughs> That's uh, how it works. I got in, turned down a lot. That's how it works in the business a lot. Yep. It's just uh, who it was you because know. somebody knew you, right. right? So at the time when you were at Hutchinson Junior College and very great success there, you were an assistant for a season and then the coach there eight years. Was it was junior college the same as it is now? So were there a lot of um, I guess what I am interested in is were there a lot of head coaches rolling through trying to get some oh, of your yeah. players? Oh yeah. And who were the who were the big coach like who would have been a big coach that came in your gym that you thought, whoa, I got Well so Eddie Sutton, he's the one that hired me at Arkansas. He was one of them. Uh, we averaged eight thousand people a game wow. at Hutch because we had a big arena for the National Junior College tournament. Yeah. And I was a defensive back coach too, so I, pl- I helped coach football half the year. And then I taught twenty five hours of biology too. Wow. So, so I was a boy. Those poor students. <laughs> <laughs> but was Eddie Sutton a big name at the time when he like? Well, he had come from Creighton, and okay. they, and they almost went to the NCAA Final Four when he was at Creighton, and that's how he got the Arkansas job. Frank Broyles hired him, and he was pretty popular. He was the best coach I was ever around. But let me tell you, and uh, this is where Coach and I hit instantly because I was an announcer at a nationally known. Junior College, and that's how I started. Paducah, yeah, at Paducah Junior College in Paducah, Kentucky. Paducah and, was big, yeah, and and we played name brand opponents, including names like Hutchinson. Yeah, he beat but us, we, but we had Moberly, and they beat us, and they won the national title. Yeah, nineteen. He ruined my week. Nineteen sixty nine. But but just to to let you know, you know, the this was this was an era that before you had 
uh, freshman eligibility. So guys were sitting out. So junior college basketball at that level was really big. Big. I yeah. mean, re- really, really big. And if you were among the, you know, the, the group of people that uh, that were very good, you had a, you had a great following. We had we had a gym that probably held four or five thousand. We we sold out every game. And the cool thing about at Paducah, and I'm sure Gene uh, can appreciate this, is that because of freshman eligibility rules, we would play all the freshman teams from all those schools that were close to us, mm-hmm. including UK, Louisville, yep. Southern Illinois, Memphis, and Western Kentucky. We'd play all those guys, the yeah. freshman teams, and we would be the game prior to the to the big game, you know, the varsity game coming up later. So it was the coolest thing for, especially for a guy like me. I'm going there and I show up for the game, and in the first half there's nine people in the arena, yeah. and we're doing the first half, and then by that second half everybody wants to come in and see the freshman players from their team. And I'm telling you, when you played UK, when you played Kentucky. At our place, you had people lining up outside sure. down the street wanting to see the Kentucky freshman yeah. play. So it was so big, and I always told Coach this. I said, the greatest place for me ever to do a ball game was Freedom Hall, with the exception of Mackey Arena, because that's where I got my start, and I'd go to those games and do them like that, and it was so cool. I mean, it was just so terrific to be part of that. But, yeah. Junior college was so different than, yep, yeah, than yeah. it is today. We probably could have beat some four-year schools with the t- players we had at Hutch. Mm-hmm. We had some really good players. All of them went Division One, but I don't know if we could have or not. But you, they were pretty talented. Yeah. So I probably would have screwed them up. But, but <laughs> we were, we were, uh, we were pretty good talent-wise. But you think about it, there weren't nearly the amount of D one teams that there are now. No, so those no, good players, no, no. so those good players were places like you're talking about. You know, well, they were at Hutch. I always Hutch. say, you know, one of the things I always talk about. I talked about uh, Ralph Taylor, uh, our color announcer on the, on the broadcast, and he's my age. So we, you know, we go back to the '60s, and you know, people don't understand that. At the end of World War II, we had 90 million people in the United States. We now have 330 million. Right. So the pool is a lot bigger than it was back then. There's a lot more Division One schools now, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah 351 of them, mainly because of the bread. We talked about that yeah. for a long time. But, but no, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it, the, the landscape is so much different. No question about it. So you get uh, you, coach. You go from from Hutch to Arkansas, assistant coach under Eddie Sutton. Um, was that a was that an eye opening deal just because of the the step up in terms of a level of you know competition and the the size of the school and the whole thing? Well, it was a great opportunity for me because Eddie was such a great teacher and I learned so much from him. I was when I was in high school and junior college, I was a fast break, score a lot of points because I was a shooter in high school, so I taught my players all how to be a good jump shot guy, and we scored a lot of points. If we didn't score 100 points in high school, I was mad. Really? Wow. So we ran and threw up some probably bad shots, but Eddie taught me about shooting, don't shoot the ball too quick, uh, Take you know, get the right people, right people shoot the ball, because he played for Mr. Iba and was a good shooter. Mr. Iba wouldn't let him shoot, so he, he always <laughs> catered towards the better shooters like Sidney Moncrief, Marvin Delph, and those guys, and and because of those three guys, we were pretty good at, at Arkansas. But uh, Eddie was a great coach and taught me a lot about how to coach the game right. And how was recruiting in those days? 
Well, it was hard. You had to be on the road a lot. I was on the road a lot when I was at uh, Arkansas. And that, you know, I, but at junior college, you learned how to recruit because you had to work hard at it. So I, was, I think I was a pretty good recruiter when I came to Eddie, and that's why probably why he hired me. And then at Arkansas, we went to Final Four in 78. So we had some good players there and did a lot of good recruiting around the nation. There's so, a great story. Uh, a guy reached out. This was probably been a, a dozen years now, but um, – when I was the SID, this guy reached out to me. He was a media member, and he said, hey, he said, uh, do me a favor and ask if Coach remembers this. He said, uh, we were stuck together in a snowstorm in Chicago, and we both had to get to Dallas, I think. This is when you were an assistant in Arkansas. And he said, the airport closed, and everybody's running to the rental car counter to try to get cars so they can get out on their own and he said and me and coach and somebody else happened to be kind of in line together and we talked about our destination and we were all heading south like dallas chicago to dallas or something like that he said so we all ended up splitting a rental car and driving together do you remember that oh yeah 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 that was a it was an incredible story and i don't remember the gentleman's name but he he was a, a sports writer and he said man we had he goes it was just it was just surreal. He goes, we were all stuck, and we all just decided, hey, let's, you know, and that's one of those things where obviously, he, you know, share. from there he you followed. Share. Yeah, you shared yeah. that moment, but yeah. then he followed your career, and he's like, and, you know, here he is, goes on to Purdue and becomes a, you know, coaching icon and that kind of thing. And I remember sharing a rental car with him in, in a snowstorm in Chicago. I was snowed in a lot in St. Louis. Seems like it always snowed in St. Louis. We got caught there. So, so let me tell you a story about how when he came here, in 1980, uh, Lee Rose uh, had, you know, had taken us to a Final Four and just suddenly, you know, decided he's going to go to Tampa, and it came out of nowhere. And, and Mike Pickett at the time, who works here at Purdue, was the news director at WASK for Henry Rosenthal's radio station, and that's where I worked. And I did sports there, and I was backing up Henry and Dale Samuels on football and Henry in basketball, and so. Uh, Mike comes into my office. I did morning sports there, like six to nine and more. We had no idea who we were going to get as a new coach. And he walks into the place and he says, "Look, I, I'm going to I'm going to just give you a, something that we can do here today. So we got to find out who's the next coach at Purdue University, next basketball coach. And I'm I'm asking you to help me. We're going to do it all day until we get this one right." And threw a said, he threw a challenge down. Yeah, challenge. So we're going to find out who this is today. And uh, back in those days, the only the only competition you had was from the Journal and Courier. TV 18 was basically a, a, a no name, and you basically had these two media outlets who would fight for whoever they could get. And we had to beat the JNC, and we had to win this battle. So we started. So you didn't just go to Twitter and try to? Find uh, it? no way. <laughs> so we started. So we started seven o'clock in the morning, and off we go. Every contact that we can have, every contact he has, and he has enough pull and enough knows enough people at Purdue that if we can get a name we can basically if we get a name we're not going to get someone say who it is you get a head nod you're going to get the old head nod or if you're on the phone just all you have to do is if you like breathe a certain way Mm, you know, so it's like the, uh, the all the presidents men movie when, exactly. when he says, "If you <laughs> exactly. don't answer, that's a confirmation." <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, and I swear now, and this is true now. In those days, you couldn't do it like you do now and be wrong every time. You, if you were wrong, you got fired. Yeah. Okay, 
Especially with Henry. Yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah, and that's called journalistic integrity. You know, and what that's, is that, and What that, is that, Larry? I'm a, I'm yeah, a younger man. Yeah, exactly, I, I don't know what that is. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and so and and we started and we and we went on and on and on. I'll never forget. Uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, and it ke- it just kept coming back to Gene Cady at Western Kentucky. And you know some were mispronouncing it and say Keedy, but it's that guy. That's that that Keedy guy from uh, was an assistant <laughs> at Arkansas. Has been at Western, really done a good job there. And we kept thinking Western Kentucky, yeah, Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky. And finally, about eight o'clock at night, and State Farm would do our bulletins back then at WASK. They had a bulletin thing that you'd run, and I, I'll never forget this. It had to be eight thirty, nine o'clock that night. We put twelve hours into it, a little bit more. And, and and Mike did most of the legwork. I just, you know, I just he'd say, hey, do this, I'd do it, you know. And he finally said, we're going with it, man. Here it is. It's going to be Gene Cady. And we're going to be the first ones to mention it. State Farm hits, and then, you know, boom. You were right. Went on the, went on the so air. So how long after was he introduced? A day, two, maybe. Maybe so the next day or two days. So how was that process from your end of things, Coach? How, who, who reached out and made the call initially to you down at Western Kentucky? Well, Fred Schaus had watched me coach at a uh, sports festival in Colorado Springs the summer before. We won the gold medal and with James Worthy and Scott Hastings, and we had all these great players. And we, we won the sports festival gold medal by like 25 points a game. So when when uh, Lee left here, Fred went back and told uh, George that there's a guy down in Western Kentucky maybe we ought to look at. So Fred Schaus is the one that recommended me wow. to start with. Yeah. And who made the initial contact to you? Was it, was it George? George, yeah. He called me. So I went to our AD, our, our president at Western and said, if you could get me a house, I'll stay here. <laughs> and he said, well, I hope you have great luck at Purdue. <laughs> so I was gone. <laughs> so that's, I mean, think about how that whole side And again, of Western is... Kentucky was a good job. Oh, yeah. Western Kentucky right. is a good yeah, job had, with a big name. We had sellouts. We had, yeah. great, we had great crowds. And I had a great assistant in Glenn Haskins. So we had a good time at Western. And, and think about how that part of the business has changed when a coaching change happens now. You know, very rarely would an AD call coach directly there. You know, it's all yeah. back-channel stuff. Yeah. It's oh, search, they got, search uh, firms, yeah, agents. search firms now are finding them. Yeah, That's search how we firms got the job at Bruce Weber. Yeah, yeah. And I'm search with. firms and agents and things. Think about that. So that was yeah. just a direct call, George, you. And there's no, you know, there's not a... Uh, Back in those days, the newspaper can't request George's phone records and find out he called that kind of <laughs> no. stuff. So. Well, Bob King's the one that picked me up at the airport here when I interviewed. So you fly up to fly up, into, up to Purdue. Purdue they sent the plane down yep, for you. Yep, and uh, to Bowling Green, and uh, flew up, and Bob King picked me up at the airport. And what was the interview like? I mean, did they? Well, it was pretty. Easy. Joe Rudolph was there. Uh, Mister Mitchell was a banker here. Mrs. Mitchell, I think it was. Uh, but Joe Rudolph is the guy I remember the most, the alumni director. And he, yeah, of course, Joe, George. Joe ran the Alumni Association, and George yeah. the AD. And he wanted to know if I would work with the alumni, and that was big. I said, "Yeah," because I did it at Western. I was very close to the alumni director, Lee Robertson, still there. See, wow. when they when they hired the football coach here, I called up Lee and said, "Hey." The last guy they hired from Western Kentucky was a jerk. What are you doing? Let the other one go. <laughs> well, that came up when we hired Jeff Brom. Your name came up uh, in the press conference about uh, the fact that, you know, the last time we went the Western Kentucky route worked out pretty well. Yeah, so, got, a, got a keeper, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. So when uh, when George was talking about the job here, did you have any um, – 
Was there anything in particular you were looking for that you thought Purdue had to have in order for you to, to make the move? No. Or? I was so so uh, happy that somebody from the Big Ten would interview me for a job. Are you kidding me? I'm a high school coach <laughs> 10 years ago so, or whatever it was. So it was like, wow. You know, if you got a chance to go to Big Ten or to a Big Ten school, it was a great opportunity for an ex-high school coach. So I know all the high school coaches in Indiana thought they should have had a job instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Indiana It was high a great school. opportunity. So um, you arrived at campus, and uh, what was the hardest – Hardest uh, task that you faced in that first year? Well, uh, the biggest problem I had the first year was, if you remember, they had just been in the Final Four. So I had uh, Brian Walker, Kevin Stallings, Michael Scares, Teddy uh, Benson. Benson. And uh, who was the other one? There was like five guys that thought they knew more basketball than I did. Roosevelt Barnes was on Roosevelt Barnes. So they all thought they knew more basketball than I did. So my whole... My hardest task was selling the seniors, you know. So, sure. that, but we got through that, and then we went to NIT that year in New York City. So that was kind of a nice start. Yeah, absolutely. Which was a completely different thing, too. Right. Yeah, it was pretty right. big. We beat Duke here. You remember that? Mm-hmm. We beat Duke, and that was pretty big. But that's when uh, Mike had just started at Duke too. So, uh, and Frieder had just started at, at Michigan. So uh, it was a lot of new coaches in the in the, on our schedule. But the Big Ten was hard in those days. Even in those days, it was hard. If you, we could win at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, usually. Yeah. But then that changed after about two years, where you went to Northwestern, you lost. Everybody thought you couldn't coach, but no, they no, were pretty darn true. good. Yeah. And in so, those days, the Big Ten was set up with travel partners. So. Oh yeah. Indiana. And Illinois and was our travel partner, so that was pretty neat because they'd go in and beat them up on Saturday or Thursday. And we'd come in and play the next time, and they'd be all beat up. We could win the game. So it was Illinois was a great traveling partner. Now, did it change then to Indiana at some point as a travel no, partner? not that I remember. I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so. So it was Illinois. Illinois. Always oh, Illinois. Okay. Indiana's travel partner was Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then they changed that. Yeah. and Well, that you know what happened there is they started going to Monday night games. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and, then, and to stay current and, and get part of that pot – uh, you had to really come aboard. I know Coach Knight was terribly against it, obviously, yeah. and it wasn't, and Coach Katie would probably concur, it wasn't good for the athletes because we're, we're playing 9 o'clock games, you know. You, big you didn't want to miss in class. Yeah. So how were those, was Wayne Duke the commissioner of the Big yes. Ten then? So how were those, talk about those meetings. You go to Chicago for a Big Ten meeting. And was it, were they doing that right when you started, all the coaches the in a room? The first Big Ten meeting I went to, the assistant coach of Ohio State, and Knight got into a fist fight over the desk. <laughs> he, he went over the desk after Bobby. He's like, what is going on here? <laughs> well, that's what I was curious about because you had you had some, first of all, fantastic coaches, but really yes, um, big personalities. Competitive guys. Judd Eagle. Oh, yeah. yeah. That Judd. I mean, you're Johnny talking about. Orr. Johnny Orr at Michigan. Yeah, yeah, just iconic guys. So, I mean. George Raveling. How were those? Tom me- Davis. I mean, obviously, that the story you just told is a is a, is a good one. But are, do you just remember those meetings being, were there any other fireworks in those meetings? or That was about the best one. When assistant coach goes after Bobby Knight over the desk, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty big. That's pretty Which big. Which was stupid on his part. <laughs> well, I can remember. I I remember being up there one time, and they were doing television interviews. I was still doing radio, but uh, but night uh, 
uh, was really cantankerous with the, with the great Hilliard Gates. Uh, I, I can't really tell our audience exactly what he was doing, but he was being he was being really difficult. Where Hilliard would, you know, all right, take two, all right, take three, all right, take four. You know, one of those things. So you can, you know envision it but hey boy he could be difficult to be around here you'd read the the uh, communications tv and radio uh companies at fort wayne yep he was a he was a he was a really nice guy i liked him but well, he didn't like he, bobby but he was uh he was uh man he was so good to me i mean yeah he was good to everybody. i was the first you know if you, I, if I, you I were on his side he was good to yeah him. but i was just a young guy just i just starting and i can remember Going up to a football game, maybe two or three years here, and he's uh, a good teacher. And he and he said to he said to a whole group of people in Fort Wayne, he said, "Hey, there's a young man out there that you know I got a lot of respect for, you know." And he pointed towards me and introduced me. I mean, to the you know to the whole Fort Wayne audience, which was boy, he really missed the mark on cool. that one. Oh, he was way off. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I said the same thing. <laughs> I said the same thing about. Our guy here. So, <laughs> well, you guys have quite a history. I mean, uh, all twenty-five uh, years is all and, twenty-five years. And uh, Larry's always telling stories from your coaches' shows and and uh, and things of that nature, whether it's radio, TV. Um, but the favorite, my favorite one that you tell is when you did the you recorded the episode <laughs> middle of the night. And of course, now in these days, this isn't like you know now you record a TV show. And it gets sent out on satellite, and everybody's got it 30 seconds later. Right, In those exactly. days, no, no. it went to a tape. The tape had to be then dubbed, and then it had to be couriered out to each couriered, station. transported. Yeah. So this is a process. Evans, Evansville, Fort Wayne. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to get your coach's show to air on the weekend, you know, you got to tape it and then get, allow for time to courier it out, which meant that that show sometimes had to be taped at 2 in the morning, 3 in yes, the morning. Exactly. Yes. So there <laughs> was one it. that you guys tape. And then as you're walking out the door, and I'll let Larry tell the story, you find out that you had a glaring error in the taping, misinformation. Well, we had we had several, but the one you're, <laughs> the one you're talking about is that we, we had a five-minute segment on the opposing team. Upcoming opponent. Upcoming opponent. And in this case, we didn't have video. And so he and I elaborately talked about this team and about a certain player on this team. And we're leaving the facility at, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, Stu Metzger, who was our producer the whole time, I think you and I ever did the TV show together. He was. And and, and Stu comes out, and we're walking out. I mean, we're so happy the night's over. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and we're heading out, you know, buddy, Hey, buddy. guys. And he goes, yeah, hey, uh, we got a problem. And I turn around and I say, yeah, what's the problem? He said, well, I just want to tell you that that guy you were talking about for two and a half minutes with no video, he unfortunately passed away this summer. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's not only does he not play for this particular team, he's not alive. <laughs> we you guys got just a, got that talking about we it. We got a problem. What do you want to do about it? <laughs> I look at Coach, he looks at me and says, I don't know, Stu. It's been a long day. It's been a long night. Why don't we just let it go? <laughs> <laughs> Run it. Run it we did. 
And there was not a single response. There no, was not nobody a single caught response. There, nobody was, caught. there wasn't a single response, which meant we probably had three viewers that week's show. <laughs> but the other one we had, which was similar, was, was another late broadcast, and we had done Norm Held, who was the very popular coach at Anderson High School and was Troy Lewis's coach, and we had had him on our show, and we had drilled him and had a wonderful time and talked stories like we're doing right now, and everything was cool. And, we get up and we leave and we're heading down the hallway, same place. There's old Stewie right behind us. Hey guys, no, no, that wasn't the case. You called me up. That's right. Yeah. We went home. You know, got. You I know, talked to Bob King about it. I got undressed. I'm in my pajamas. Because I was worried about whether it was uh, okay. <laughs> So I called Bob King, and he said, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> illegal. Illegal yeah. to have a high school coach on your television. So he calls me up at, you know, 3 in the morning. He said, hey, Larry. We, we got to redo we, this. We got a problem. <laughs> I said, what's the problem? I said, I said what? We got to go back in there and do Yeah, we got to do the whole show. I said, oh, my goodness. Yeah, no. Yeah. And went in there and had to redo it. But that was my fault. <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't as good a show as we had, I can guarantee. No. But you did get the player, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was legal. Yeah. 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 And that's the most important part. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of some of the players you, you've you had, um, uh, Troy was obviously part of that really good class, uh, won back-to-back Big Ten titles in 87, 88. Your first Big Ten championship in 84, um, I want you to tell the story, Coach, about the, the preseason banquet and uh, – President Hicks was the interim, yeah, interim president. President, and uh, he made a certain uh, a certain wager with you before that. Well, season. he he knew I was a big Yankee fan because uh, I was a my eighth grade uh, reading teacher was a, the niece of Frank Leahy. Remember the football coach mm-hmm. at Notre Dame, and she was a big sports fan, so she always let us listen to the World Series in those days if we read a book a day. So it was always the Dodgers and the Yankees. So I became a big Yankee fan. And uh, it was one of those things where we were, we were uh, get, got to be known about it. So Mr. Hicks knew that. So he, they had picked us 10th in the Big Ten that year in 84 to win the Big Ten. We were going to be 10th. We weren't going to win it. We were going right. to be 10th. You know, it's only had 10 teams. Right. <laughs> and, we had, and we only had 10 teams. And he said in the fall bank, remember we always had fall banquets and spring yeah. banquets. He said in the fall banquet, Coach, I used to sell orange juice at Evans Field polo grounds in Yankee Stadium, and I got a baseball signed by Babe Ruth, and if you win the Big Ten this year, I'll give it to you. So in the, so we win the Big Ten, <laughs> and he gives me that baseball in the spring banquet. His his wife was not happy. So I don't blame her. I thought you were going to say you won the Big Ten the next day. There was a... <laughs> no. Hey, it's Coach. He got that ball. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I didn't do that. He, he brought it to me and gave it to me in the spring banquet. And you still have it? Yes. That's awesome. I do. I'm that gonna, is I'm awesome. I'm going to give it to my grandson for Christmas. That's awesome. So, um, President Hicks was interim. Who was the outgoing president at the time? Uh, he went to uh, he went Texas, to Texas A&M. A&M. Right. Uh, yeah. Hanson? Hanson, yeah. Dr. Hanson. Dr. Hanson. Yeah. He's the one that hired me. And was he involved in the hiring at that time? When? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know how involved presidents were. Yeah, he was were. part of the interview. Okay. Yes. And then who takes over after Hicks' interim run? Uh, uh, Bering. Yeah, Dr. Bering. And he was here majority. Came from IU Medical Center. That's majority correct. of your time. So, Well, I, I, I've heard that Babe Ruth ball story before, and I, that's one of, one of my favorites and uh, probably makes everybody think twice about 
promising, uh, you know, something preseason. Um, was there a sense when well, you guys... Well, in, in today's culture, they'd, they'd renege on the promise. Well, so, in today's you know, culture... Hey, I, hey, I said it, but... Doesn't... The NCAA would call and resend the, the Big Ten championship <laughs> because you made a wager. So it was when you guys... It wasn't won really it, a wager, it was just a well, good gift offer. Yeah. yeah. It, it, when you guys win it in 84, was there a sense that... Did you feel a sense of like, okay, now we got this thing kind of rolling now? No. No. I was never secure in my job. I had one-year contracts my whole life, in every at every job. That'll do it. So you know, I was never secure. Uh, George gave me a three-year rollover one time, and I didn't know what that meant. What did it mean? <laughs> I, didn't, I don't know. <laughs> you better win the next year, or they'll fire you. <laughs> That's what it meant to me. That sounds like a Seinfeld episode when Kramer's talking about the write-off. And he says, do you even know what a write-off is? No, but they do. And they're the ones writing it off. Exactly. That sounds like the same thing. <laughs> so then, uh, like we referenced, two more Big Ten championships, 87, 88. And then uh, you get to the three-peat years, 94, 95, 96. Um, when you look back, one thing you had was uh, obviously to have great players, but also you, have a, you had a great coaching staff and support staff too. Um, Always. Always had great guys to work with, and and you, when you talk about those uh, all the great players that came through, recruiting in those days, did you see it change from when you first got on campus to the three P years? I mean, you're talking about almost twenty years there. Did, uh, did, I think the biggest change I saw was the students were always pretty much the same. I really always really liked the students, unless we lost and I hated them. But you know that, that changed from week to week. Yeah, but no, I didn't hate them. But but uh, the biggest change I saw was the parents. Parents changed. They become uh, helicopters. They hovered over their kids. But never really a big problem because uh, my thing that changed maybe the last five years, I had parent meetings to, to tell them, like, like, if your son has a car, he has to get a parking permit to park on campus because if he, just because he's a basketball player, he just can't park that car anywhere he wants to. He's going to get a ticket like every other student. So you got to get a parking meant Another one was, uh, if I recruited your son, it meant if you come to Purdue, we're probably going to chance to get a ring, get your degree, and that's what we're here for, to win games, uh, get get your degree, then you can have a career later. So don't call me and ask me why your son's not playing. Because he's not playing because he's probably not good enough yet. But if he stays here for four years, he'll get good enough, probably. And you know, that was no it. guarantees. I didn't promise any kid he would start. I didn't promise any kid he's going to the NBA. I didn't promise him anything except an opportunity, and that's all I ever had. So I was very lucky. And it's funny because Coach Painter talks about that too, about how things have changed, like the instant gratification. Now kids want to play right away. Yeah. And and in those days it was, hey, like you talked about, you work hard and you earn, you know, probably somewhere sophomore, junior year. You start cracking the lineup a little bit more. You earn some starter minutes. And then that senior year you kind of become a star. Yep. That's why when you're a freshman, you're probably going to play some, maybe get in the game once in a while because you're not good enough yet. You don't understand what it takes. Sophomore year, you might start a lot, a little more, then play a lot more, get some more playing. Then your junior year, you better be a starter. You know, in your senior year, you better make all Big Ten because we had 16 guys make first team all Big Ten here in 25 years. That's, and we graduated 92 percent of our kids. So that was that was my most, I think. Uh, most uh, thing that I enjoyed the most, the kids graduating. 
Well, I want to tell our listeners too that in the offices here, there's a in Coach Painter's office. There's a and it's basically it was there when Coach Katie was coaching, and Matt's kept it, and we've updated it every year since from 1980. There is pictures of every senior from every class, and because we keep in touch with so many of our former players, and we have such a, a true basketball family, we're able to. Matt stands at that in that corner of that office with recruits that we're recruiting now, and he's able to go basically almost every single guy and tell them a little bit about them and what they're doing nowadays. And it runs the gamut in terms of, you know, you've got doctors, lawyers, um, businessmen, coaches, all kinds of uh, guys who have been successful over the years. And it's amazing to me um, how much success the former players have, but it all got started here. I mean, you know, you they worked very hard, but also it's just the work ethic you instilled and uh, and the way you handled your business as a coach, too. Well, that's what my dad taught me, how to work hard. But Carson Cunningham is another guy we haven't mentioned that's really being successful. Oh, at, yeah. Uh, yeah, we had Carroll. him on the podcast this year yeah, when he was wonderful. Carroll College, yep. he's 15-0 right now, rated number two in the nation in NAIA. Uh, it was a pain in the butt when he played for me, but I love him because he does everything we used to do as drills. And, yeah, he does. And you've been out there to Montana to see him. Oh, yeah, three times. Yeah. The thing, though, the thing I, I really have to emphasize, though, is because of the um, uh, the culture that we have in today's life and, you know, the, uh, the, the availability of everything is, you know, there was a period of time where you didn't have that. And, and that, that meant such a big difference because you'd have, like, one game on television, two games on television maybe in a week. Then, of course, we had our own TV package, but it was local, you know, it was right. statewide. And, you know, nationally, you might get on one or two, you know. And But anymore, everybody's on everything. you got your own Big Ten network, as everybody knows, and Coach worked for them for several years. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the culture is so much different. So the way the players are brought up is that, you know, everything is AAU, everything is... Uh, parent-oriented in a lot of cases. And if you don't have two parents, a lot of times you have a handler or some, an, a, a, a relative or somebody that's close to that family. AAU coach. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's so completely different. When I grew up in the 60s and you're being recruited, everything was regional. You know, and right. I was in Northeast Ohio, so it was Youngstown, it was Akron. It and, was, and everything was about your parents and the high school coach. Right. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, exactly. Three people. Yeah. Mom and dad and the coach, and then of course the recruit. And that's who you were selling. Yeah, yeah. Think about it's, that. It, it's so it, it's so much different as you mentioned. Three hundred and fifty-one Division One schools when you should have one hundred and fifty, which means you have two hundred schools you're dealing with that should be in a different division, yeah. right? Right. And so and and so it, it's just so much different. It, it's a lot tougher, but like he'll tell you. I mean, I guess I guess those guys get paid to do what they do. I mean, you know, that's that's different too. Everything is different, but it's. I heard uh, Wilbon the other day. They were talking about your your friend Kevin Stallings. Kevin went off the other night at the Louisville game, and went after some of the you know students who were really badgering his players. And Wilbon's on there said, "Good, go ahead and do it." Here's what they did, and you don't do it. Sure, why not? You're just sticking up for your players. That's exactly. okay, you know. And but with that type of stuff, you know, you just didn't. You just didn't have it twenty. You didn't have it twenty years ago, let alone no. you know thirty or forty years ago. 
Well, Coach, I think, was always known for fighting for his players and being uh, – He's fighting for everybody. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's fighting for everybody to win that game is what he fought But for. it's funny because, like, our two assistants now who didn't play here, um, Coach Gary and Coach Lutz, like, a lot of times um, we'll be talking about Coach Katie and, you know, they'll they'll ask, you know, hey, Brandon, how was he in this situation? Or, Matt, how was he in this situation? And, you know, Brandon's got a lot of he's Brandon's got a really good memory of all those oh, yeah, stories and stuff, and so he he'll come up with some really good ones. But you know, a lot of times it's um, it's coach being so competitive, but fighting for his guys. And at the end of the day, like Brandon said, you know, he pushed you, he pushed you, made you grow up. But at the end of the day, you knew you knew he loved you. And I and more every time I talk to a guy who played for you, coach, that's the one thing that comes through. Is um, first of all, it was hard. But when you made it through, you were set for life because you had a set of skills that was going to carry you through. Yeah, it was a it was a way I, my dad treated me. You know, my dad taught me how to box, so I knew how to protect myself, protect your face, put your hands up, protect your stomach. I knew how to box. I could box you, but he never ever hit me one time in all the time I knew him. But I thought he might. So, <laughs> so because of that, I behaved myself. So uh, I guess it was fear. Well, fear with with uh, respect. I like the the story Brandon always tells when he came back from Christmas break, and we I think we've shared this to our 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 players yeah. about every year since Brandon's been back on staff. And he said, you know, I, I go home to uh, East Chicago, and I uh, he goes, I forgot about the time change coming back, and so I get back to campus and I walk in, I hear sneakers squeaking, and I thought, <laughs> oh boy, and I'm late, so. He said, Coach is no big deal. And so he's practicing. He thinks, oh, Coach isn't that mad. I, I might be okay here. So they stack up practice, and they get done. And you kind of walk over to Brandon and go, all right, 100 stairs there, buddy. So he's got to do his 100 stairs. So the next year, he leaves. But explain what 100 stairs is. 100 stairs. So you start at the floor, Mackie, go up, touch the top of the roof, and back down. That's, That's one, one stair. That's one stair. It takes two and a half hours. So he, so Brandon had to do that. Unless you're Kelsey so, Barlow, and it takes yeah. one hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. So, <laughs> Can't count. So he, uh, uh, so he, the next year, he says, all right, I am bound to determined to make sure I'm back in time. So he said his mom's bringing him back, and he said they get in a little bit of a fender bender, slid on some ice out here local in town no nothing big but it did delay them enough that sure enough he walked in the door a few minutes late so he said i go up and explain myself to coach he says oh it's all right you know we're just glad you're back in one piece and you know that's you know jump in get changed practice here great to have you back uh, and then when you're when we're done you can get those hundred stairs in after we're done <laughs> and brandon looked at him in in disbelief like really but that's but that kind of discipline, I guess my point of this is, it's a, first, it's a great story. But second, um, those kind of things carried over to our guys. And if I've heard one guy say it, I've heard 100 guys say it, to this day, they say, you know what? I make my bed because of Gene Katie. I mean, it was little things like that, the life lessons, being early, all that stuff. Anybody who's ever played for you, when you say be there at 4 o'clock, I guarantee you they're getting there at 345. Oh. <laughs> well, I had three rules. Go to class every day. If you go to class every day for four years, guess what? You're going to get your degree. No doubt. Be on time. If you didn't, if you weren't on time, you, we would run you 100 stairs. And if you didn't go to class, we ran you at 5.30 in the morning because I had checkers. Just like Todd Foster has checkers now. Yeah. So, and then the third thing was try your best. 
if you try your best, you can't ask anymore out of a kid. So those are the three rules. I didn't have no smoking, no drinking, can't go out with girls. Those are rules that if you do that, we're going to find out about it and you're not going to play. It was really pretty simple. But you got to go to class every day, you got to be on time, and you got to try your best. If you did those things, we were... I was a happy camper. Well, in the, in the early part, I remember when uh, Matt was on board as an assistant and we were at Wisconsin and him and uh, Coach Martin and Conzo were roommates on that trip. And they, we were, and the whole, basically the whole team was on the bus. Let's say the bus was leaving at one o'clock. We were all on the bus for a shoot around and it was like 1245 and we're waiting on those two. Now they still have 15 minutes technically before they need to be down there. And they get on the bus about 1247 and, uh, coach looks at and goes where the hell you guys been and they both looked at their watch like geez we're 13 minutes early <laughs> but they're not going to say that and they're like sorry sorry coach and they put their head down <laughs> went and sat down and we went we left for yeah, sure yeah well you know when i first started uh, when i first started working with you guys when matt took over and uh, you know coach was gone uh the bus culture just changed dramatically heck i'm at michigan state coach and I'm out there nine minutes before the buses leave, and then and they're gone. We had and to I turn said, around and come and back. And I said, I and I called him up. And I said, "What did I do wrong here? It's like uh, four o'clock. It's ten minutes to four. He said, "I don't know. He said, "We just left. We had everybody. <laughs> we had all the important. We had all the important <laughs> apparently, people. Apparently, it didn't matter whether you were with us or not. But he did turn the bus around. But but it is it is different culture in those days." But how many times did you leave players? Once. Rowinski. Jim Rowinski, and we were going to Boston. Yep. Yep. And, Matt, and Matt, Pat's still mad about it. My wife is still mad. She said, why would you leave your best player? I said, because he was late. It wasn't very complicated. <laughs> of course, and I'd always tease Coach. I said, you'd never leave, uh, you'd never leave a dog if, if that was the situation. Of course, dog was never late. But well, be, that's, said, that's always the joke around <laughs> here. Yeah. That it became, we got everybody, we got everybody. Okay, Glenn let's on the go. bus? Then it became, yeah. we got Glenn. All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn here. Whoop. When we We're played, when Rowinski was left, I didn't know it because at this time I didn't know who the coaches were around the country. But Patino was the basketball coach at Boston University. That's right. And we didn't have uh, didn't have Rowinski. We still beat him, and uh, wow. it was one of those things where. But Patino then became the coach of Providence. Then he went to to uh, Louisville, didn't he? or no Kentucky, Kentucky yeah, in Boston, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, coach, we always end our uh, our interview with, uh, a, with a segment we call the Final Four, and it's just kind of four off-topic questions that we are curious about when we talk to people. So we're going to start our Final Four segment here with Gene Katie. Um, first of all, what is your uh, what's your go-to music of choice? So, what's your favorite music to listen to? Um, what's his name? Uh, he plays in Ireland. Um, I can't think of the name. But I'm sorry, I got brain lock. So he's an Irish guy. Yeah. Uh, Which makes sense since you're Irish. Uh, oh, what's his name? Take is he a uh, modern guy? Well, he's pretty modern. He has concerts yet. Uh, Nat. His name. He's pretty modern. He was born in 1927. <laughs> 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 but, hey, that's okay. Um, I like country music. And another country guy. We Who was like, it that... It's like uh, Raftery, he's, he referenced some country that he liked. Yeah. Um, and then Larry always goes into his uh, DJ days when he was had to talk to, or had to uh, spin country records. 
yeah. which was out of his element, this guy but he sang did it. Bra- Brown Eyed Girl. What's his name? Dang. Oh, Van, Van Morrison. Morrison. Van Morrison. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I like. Hey, I like Van hey, Morrison. There we that's go. A, that's no. my favorite. Yeah, there we go, like Van Morrison. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I just saw an interview with him the other day, just talking about music in general. He's. He, I'll tell you what. If if you're unfamiliar with, and most people are familiar with his hits, but if you go really listen to all his catalog, there are some absolute gems in yep, there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Two of fantastic. He, he does one song. It's one of my favorites. Of That's all a, time. Which one's that? Uh, and you don't know that. Yeah, I'll come up with it here in a minute. Okay. Okay. Into the Mystic. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. In the Mystic. Is that is good. a good one. All right. I thought that might be it. I just know you so well, Larry. I thought I might have pegged it. Uh, all right, Coach, question two here of the Final Four. Uh, what is your favorite book or maybe a book you've read recently that you've enjoyed? Well, of course, the Bible. Um, um, i got a lot of John. Any, coach, any book written by John Wooden? Call yeah. Me Coach. Yeah. Uh, Wizard of Westwood. Uh, there's a lot of them I like. Now, when you were an up-and-coming coach, did, or those books you referenced? Uh, yeah, yeah. I went to all his uh, Dr. Pepper. Uh, he had Dr. Pepper uh, clinics he gave. And I went. I used his practice schedule to the T. Really? Yeah. Now, where would the... When, when I you, was in junior college. Where would you... Like, where would you attend those? Was that St. in... St. Louis, Denver, all around the Midwest. Wow. When he was talk, I'd go listen to him. And how many coaches would typically be at those? Oh, 500. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. And was it just Walter him? Walter Bloom used to have a great clinic in uh, Kansas City. He used to be the coach in, in high school in Kansas City. Were there? And was it just Coach Wooden or were there multiple coaches? No, there? just Coach Wooden. Okay. Because yeah. now, um, and I know for several years you did the Nike yeah. clinics where you there would go several in. several coaches, yeah. And there yeah. were several. I, did, I was. I guess what I was getting at. I didn't know if there was maybe a coach that you saw speak one time. And you thought, boy, he's going to be pretty good. And it turned out he ended up being a a really good coach. I'm sure some people. Uh, when did uh, when best did, coach I ever knew was Eddie Sutton, coach Chris Wooden, and then coach uh, my boss at Hutch, uh, uh, Sam Butterfield was a really good coach. Uh, Bud Presley was another coach. I don't know if you ever heard yeah. me talk about him. Yeah, or absolutely, he was a coach at. Uh, Junior college in California, and then Boyd Grant was at Fresno State. He was a really great coach, good friend. Well, there's a lot of uh, those Coach Wooden books are great because there's obviously a lot of Purdue references and in, in most of them when he played for Ward Lambert here. Did you ever uh, see how many things he quoted his dad on when he talks about philosophies and stuff? He got from his father, right down in Martinsville, Indiana. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's a uh, Coach Wooden is. Uh, well, there's a lot of quotes in around Purdue now in the athletic department here. Of course, there's the great wooden statue out there that we added a couple of years ago with the pyramid of success behind there. That's a great. Uh, that's been a great addition to the uh, landscape here around Mackey. Um, final uh, four questions. The third question, Coach, is if you could wave a wand and do another profession, what would that be? Oh, geez, I would probably be a minister. Really? Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Involves people and. It's coaching in a way, I guess, huh? Maybe I wouldn't cuss so much. <laughs> I don't know about that. Is that possible? Yeah, better be. You'd be a big hypocrite. <laughs> All right, and then the final question in the final four is: What is something uh, that no one or not many people know about you? A very little-known fact. Oh wow! These are always hard for the for popular guests that have been in the limelight for a while. Mm, boy, I don't know. 
I like to be with our granddaughter in uh, New York. Uh, I like to be around. I like being with my wife on trips. We like to travel. That's not something that's not unknown. But what's a great trip you guys have recently taken? Ireland. How many uh, days were you guys over there? A couple of weeks. That is fantastic. Yeah, we went over to see Eifert's son play when Notre Dame played Navy at Dublin. Yeah. Then we stayed for another 10 days and played golf with some guys in Fort Wayne. And we walked into this golf course called Old Head. And this girl says, the desk taking our money for our fees, said, Coach Katie, what are you doing here? And I said, how do you know me? She said, I majored in restaurant hotel management at Purdue. Unbelievable. (laughs) Wow. So it's a small world. That is really cool. Let me close, though, here by saying, I can't let him out out of the room without saying this, is that, I remember when we did his last banquet, and at that time I wasn't doing banquets anymore, and I requested to do it. The reason I did is because I wanted to have the opportunity to say some good things about Coach Katie. But, you know, I was with him for 25 years. I consider him one of the great influences in my life. and It's just great to always see him. It's, uh, it, Thank you. And it's, it's Same great. Same here, Larry. Same here. It's great uh, whenever Coach comes back because uh, – even our players know all they hear all the stories and everything and and i know we've talked about this a lot on this podcast uh, the purdue basketball family and what it means to all of us who are kind of a part of it um but you know you are the patriarch of it and uh you're you're the glue that holds a lot of it all together and one of the reasons that i think we can say that we're a true basketball family where maybe a lot of programs make that claim but i think we actually walk the walk as well as talk the talk is for the last uh, you know, the last 40 years, we've had two guys at the helm yeah, of this two program. Guys, and I've been with them the whole time. Two guys. Two guys. Two guys that have treated and, me with respect and dignity. And, and you don't get that from big-time college coaches all the time. No. And, These and, two guys are fine. And how many programs have two guys who have led the way for 40 years? And Matt does so many things the way you did it. Um, and Well, he does a lot of things better than I did. It. <laughs> I was watching his offense and said, how the heck did you get that offense so good? So I watched him practice two weeks ago when I was here. Yeah. What was I here? A couple weeks ago? Yeah. And I watched him practice and said, damn, he's a good coach. <laughs> you know, and that's hard for another guy to say it took your place, Well, I think. But, uh, but but when I see uh, when I hear Larry uh, work or when I see him, I smile because my face. We've had so many good times together. Yeah, it's and been, we had a lot of fun. Well, I I mean everybody lights up when you're around, Coach, and uh, it's it's we really want to thank you for coming on the podcast here, and uh, you'll be here this weekend uh, for the game against Nebraska, and we're gonna. Uh, another one of your players will be back in town. Todd Mitchell's going to get uh, recognized at halftime, so another chance yeah, to see some be guys. Great, 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 great. And they're going to be Troy and, Troy. and, Todd, and Everett's going to be – Everett lives here, doesn't he? Yeah, Everett lives here. So they're here. going to be together. And uh, Troy and Everett will be here. And, in fact, uh, we all uh, – one of our photographers the other day said, i got to get the, those three together with Coach again, get some more photos. So we got a lot of stuff planned for – So we played uh, Nebraska. Nebraska is one of my favorite teams because I was at K-State. I transferred from Garden City there, and it was like that fourth game of the year, and I started. And I carried the ball like seven times and made 42 yards. I don't know why I remember this. <laughs> which is seven yards a carry, right? Which is not bad for a punk. And we won the game 10-7 to because the wind changed to our back every quarter, and we kicked a field goal. Ben Grossi kicked it, and we won by 10-7. to So I don't know why I remember that about Nebraska. But when I hear about Nebraska – they can't play basketball, and they and they're not very good in football because even K State beat them. But then after that, Osborne took over and they got pretty dang good. And they were good before that. 
Well, I'll tell you one thing that I know you and Matt have in common is your memory. You, uh, especially when it comes to the sporting events and players' oh, names. Oh, Matt's and got coaches a great names. memory. He remembers you, everything. You guys are on it. And yeah, it's, and the uh, trouble with that is he always brings it up. If, you, <laughs> if I go somewhere where I'm not supposed to go, he said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second, let's check that. <laughs> let's check that." Yeah, you got to be you got to be pretty accurate around here. You yeah, can't be coming exactly. in with some half-ass. Especially story. with Matt. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's he, true. He. He remembers because he was he was a good player for us, and I loved him because uh, he was. Uh, like I told this story many times that we were playing Georgia. Remember down in Athens, and yep. they were rated pretty high, and we went down there and beat them at Athens. I've been preaching for three weeks about playing smart, getting the ball to the right shooters, don't be shooting the ball quick, you know, trying to really play smart. And I've been preaching it, and Matt listened. He's one of those guys you didn't put anything by. He and I knew that's why he's going to be a good coach. He, we beat Athens, beat Georgia that night with Hugh Durham, and he came up after the game and said, hey, coach, we finally found a team dumber than us. <laughs> <laughs> That's coaching. Sometimes you don't have to be – you just have to be better than the guy you're playing that exactly. night, right? Well, Coach, uh, want to thank you for taking time and stopping by here. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, when – when you're back in town down the road, well, we'd love to have you on again. There's a thousand stories we could get to. Larry? One final one. He talked to me the other day. He shot his age yeah. recently, a few weeks ago. 81. Yeah. That is How beautiful. About that that yeah. is beautiful. That is uh, – I just saw um, – And he can't hit it from here to the end of your nose exactly. right now. <laughs> hey, exactly. A a, if it's no. a par three, 160 yards, i got to use my driver. Hey, I have to, I have to tell you yeah, If story. you are going to hit it as far as somebody's nose, mine would be a good one. To <laughs> I, I, I got to I, I, I I tell you guys a quick story, though. Don Fisher, my colleague from uh, Indiana, does play-by-play and is a really great guy. Yes, he is. And uh, a really good golfer. And I and I and when we played Butler, I, I visited with him a little bit, and we had just done that story for the Indiana Business Journal so I'd been with him for a while and I just asked him I said Don I said because remember you and I set him up to play here on campus during the summer and he was thanking me again and I said uh, I just want to know I said I haven't played like 10 years because I have this back issue but I said man I I go by I go by our courses all the time and I'm just itching to want to play you know Ackerman again the, the, the new one yeah and he said, oh, man, it's really nice. And I said, just let me ask you a question. I said, you're 70 now. I said, everybody talks about losing distance. Have you lost distance? He said, be honest with you. He said, I haven't. I haven't lost the distance. The only problem is I can't find out where my ball is anymore. I forget who's <laughs> supposed to putt when and stuff like that. But, oh, wow. But I can still hit it. I said, I still hit it pretty That's pretty good. good. <laughs> Well, Coach, thanks a lot for stopping by. And, Thank you uh, for having me. We'll uh, we'll obviously stay in touch and have you on uh, again real soon. So. Okay, this has been fun. All right, that was episode thirty-four here on the Boilerball Podcast. I want to thanks everybody for listening, and until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Mm-hmm.